All right, go ahead and make your way back. There we go. It's hot now. We got a hot mic. All right, go ahead and make your way back to your seats. <clears throat> We're going to get started. As you make your way back to your seats, let me just say this really quick. Uh, if you are a parent and you have a child who uh, is asking questions about baptism and uh, is interested in getting baptized, let me encourage you to go ahead and sign up for that class. Uh, what's going to happen during that class is uh, if there's any kids that come to that class, I will take parents and kids and we'll, we'll go uh, se- kind of separate ourselves and, and we'll talk through baptism and, and we'll be able to have a conversation with you and, and your kiddos. And so uh, if you uh, or your kiddos have any questions or have any interest in baptized, so go ahead and, and sign up for that class. Or if you want to just touch base with me uh, prior to that, parents, uh, if, you, if you have any questions about pap- baptism, your kids are asking questions, you don't really know how to respond, uh, please just come up and, and talk with me and I can help you through that, all right? So just wanted to make that uh, available to you. <clears throat> we are um, going to be doing something a little bit different this morning. Um, first, let me say this. If you are a guest, welcome. My name is Blake Hilgenfeld, one of the pastors, uh, and we are very grateful and thankful that you're here this morning. We are starting something new over the next three weeks. We have we have uh, finished our series uh, on Colossians 3 uh, in Christ, and we are going to be moving into uh, three weeks of looking at uh, really why uh, the most important person who's ever lived, why did he come into this world? Uh, why did Jesus Christ come into this world? Did you know that in the Gospels, there are only three times where the phrase, the Son of Man came, is used? So in the Gospels, Three times it says the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Also says the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. And the Son of Man came eating and drinking. And so over the next uh, few weeks leading up to Easter, we are going to look at each one of those phrases to prepare our hearts for Easter. And so we're going to look at uh, who is this person named Jesus? Why did he come into this world? And what did his, his coming uh, mean for us this morning. And so uh, we are going to be looking at this morning one of the greatest statements, I believe. It's one of my favorite passages of why Jesus came. And he came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. And so if you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn with me to Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10, starting in verse 32. If you don't have a Bible, that's okay. There's one in the seat in front of you. The verses are on the screen, but I do encourage you to to get into the practice of opening up a Bible or turning the Bible app uh, to Mark chapter 10. Let's start reading in verse 32. And they, they being the disciples of Jesus, were on the road going up to Jerusalem, and Jesus was walking ahead of them. And they were amazed, and those who followed were afraid. And taking the twelve again, Jesus began to tell them what was to happen to him, saying, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles. And they will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him, and after three days he will rise. And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to him and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And he said to them, what do you want me to do for you? And they said to Jesus, grant us to sit one at your right hand and one at your left in your glory. And Jesus said to them, you do not know what you're asking. 
Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or to be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? And they said to him, we are able. And Jesus said to them, the cup that I drink, you will drink. And with the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand and or my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared. And when the ten heard it, they began to be indignant at James and John. And Jesus called them to him and said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. Whoever will be great among you must be your servant. And whoever will be first among you must be a slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would give us eyes to see as we look at this story of the Son of Man who came not to be served, but to serve us and give his life as a ransom for us. May we see this more than just a story that happened over 2,000 years ago. But Holy Spirit, with your help, help us to see the beauty of the Son of Man, the great one who came and laid down his life as a sacrifice for us. May we see this beautiful picture of the great one coming to serve us and that in turn, we would become more like him in the way in which we serve others. That we would be humbled and grateful by the way in which Jesus, you came to lay down your life as a sacrifice for us, to redeem us, to save us, and that we would in turn become more like you. For in your kingdom, those who are the greatest are the ones who serve. May we see that, and as a result of seeing you, may it crush our selfish hearts this morning, and may we become more like you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So let us picture in our minds what Mark wants us to see in this story. Jesus and his disciples are on this road leading to Jerusalem. And Jesus is out front of his disciples leading the way. Now, it's not like the disciples were on this Sunday stroll and they're taking their time to stop and smell the Jerusalem tulips. They're doing all that they can to keep up with Jesus. Jesus is like this fast walker in the mall. Any of you seen fast walkers in the mall? Like, it is almost impossible to keep up with these fast walkers. I mean, I'd have to do some sort of jog to keep up with these fast mall walkers. And these are probably, this is what the disciples were probably experiencing trying to keep up with Jesus. Jesus is intensely determined to make it into the city of Jerusalem. And the disciples are doing all that they can to keep up with him. Now, the only person who fully understands and knows what's waiting for them in Jerusalem is Jesus. And this event sums up, really, of why Jesus came into this world. Jesus has prepared himself his whole life for what's waiting for him in Jerusalem. All of his life, he has been faithful to accomplish all that the Father asked him to accomplish, and now he has his eyes set on Jerusalem. And so like this mighty king that's leading his men into battle, Jesus is intensely determined to make it to the city of Jerusalem to accomplish all that the Father has for him that's waiting for him in the city of Jerusalem. And the disciples at this point could tell that there was something different about Jesus. 
Mark tells us that the disciples were amazed, but they were also afraid by Jesus. There must have been this intense determination on the look of Jesus that, that, that showed that there was something Jesus different about Jesus in this moment. And they became afraid, and they were, they were amazed by Jesus' determination and his, his ferociousness to get into Jerusalem. And Jesus must have, have sensed this terror on the disciples because he stops. And he lets the disciples in on what is waiting for him in, in Jerusalem. He lets them in on the plan. He, he, he lets them know, he reveals, he kind of per, pulls back the curtain and he reveals to them what is waiting for him in Jerusalem. And he says to them in verse 33, look at it, he says this. He says, see, we are going to Jerusalem and the son of man will be delivered over the chief priest and the, and the scribes and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over the Gentiles and they will mock him and they will spit on him, and they will flog him and kill him, and after three days he will rise. So Jesus is revealing to his disciples on this road leading to Jerusalem that the dusty road that they are on will lead to his arrest. So he's telling them that he will be arrested, he'll be put on trial, and he will be condemned to death. But not only that, that Jesus will be mocked, that Jesus will be spit on, that Jesus will experience the most extreme pain any human being could ever, ever experience. He will experience the flesh being ripped off his body due to being flogged. And he will experience the most painful and humiliating way to die. He will suffocate to death on a cross, but after three days, he will rise from the dead. I mean, could you imagine what the disciples must have been thinking and feeling in this moment when Jesus reveals to them what is waiting for him in Jerusalem? Like, what, what would you be thinking? Maybe, hey, Jesus, like, let's let, let, let don't go, right? Like, there, there must be another way. Let, let us turn back and let us think about this and let us, let us come up with a different plan. Or, or, or Jesus, what are we going to do without you? I mean, we have given up everything to follow you and now you're saying that this is going to happen to you. What are we supposed to do if you leave us? I mean, you would expect the disciples to be greatly, greatly, greatly disturbed at the news that Jesus has told them that they're going, he's going into Jerusalem, he's going to be put on trial, arrested, condemned to death, mocked. He's going to be spit on. He's going to have the flesh ripped off his body. He's going to die, and he's going to rise from the dead. I mean, you would, you would expect the disciples to be greatly, greatly disturbed at this news. But here is what two of his disciples were thinking. James and John, Jesus' cousin, came up to him and said this. He said, Jesus, we have a favor to ask you. We want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. Now, parents, we are probably the only ones who have ever experienced such a ridiculous question, right? I mean, it's only someone so childish she would ask, basically, hey, Jesus, or hey, mom and dad, we got a favor to ask. It's not that big of a deal. We just ask that you will do whatever we ask you to do. Parents, don't give in. You know what's a trap, right? Don't do it. But Jesus goes along with it, I assume, because he has this superpower of knowing all things, right? He goes along with it, and he says, all right, what do you want me to do? And these jokers ask Jesus this. They say, grant us to sit one at your right and one at your left hand in glory. Are you kidding me? 
I mean, Jesus just revealed the plan, right? He just revealed what he's walking into. And these two guys are basically asking Jesus. They're saying, hey, cuz, we ask. We know that you, what you just said, you're going to go into Jerusalem and you're going to be mocked, you're going to be spit on, you're going to be flogged to death, you're going you're to die of suffocation on the cross, you're going to rise three days later. Yeah, that's not good, Jesus. We're sorry that's going to happen to you. But you know, we've been thinking and we've been talking and we ask, can you give us the two greatest positions in your kingdom? When you die and you rise again and you restore your kingdom and you reign as king, can we have the two greatest positions of power and authority in your kingdom? Can we sit one at your, at your left, one at your right? In other words, can we be the vice president and the chief of staff in your kingdom? I mean, this is just straight up selfish, isn't it? I mean, there, there is no other question probably these dudes could ask that is more selfish than this question. All James and John cares about is themselves. They don't care about Jesus. They they, they don't care about what's going to happen to their friends. They just are looking out for a numero uno, right? That's all they, they care about. Now, what do you think the disciples were thinking at this moment? What do you think they're thinking about, oh, James and John's request? They They didn't take very kindly to it, did they? They got upset. Mark tells us in verse 41 that when the 10 heard it, they began to be indignant at James and John. But why? Why'd they get so upset? Was it because they cared about Jesus and they knew that these guys are being very insensitive to Jesus, knowing what Jesus is going to walk into? Is that why they got upset? No, the reason why they got upset is because James and John beat them to it. They wanted these positions of power and authority. They wanted to sit at Jesus' right hand and, and his left. They, they, they wanted these things. But James and John beat them to it. They were smarter and quicker. And they asked Jesus before that they could. And so they became angry. Now, before we pick up a stone and cast it, old James and John, let us be honest with ourselves. Doesn't this reveal the reality of our hearts? I mean, to be honest with you, I am absolutely stunned and amazed on a daily basis of how selfish I can be. Like James and John, it seems that most oftentimes when I evaluate my life, all I can do is think about myself. I mean, just ask my wife and she will, she will testify to my selfishness. Why do I get angry? And why do you get angry? Well, for me, it's because I don't get what I want, just like the disciples. Think about it. Or something I want is being threatened and I may not get it. Therefore, I become angry, just like the disciples. This usually happens about 7.30 p.m. when my kids won't go down to bed. Because you know what happens after 7.30 p.m.? It's my time. And anytime after 7.30 when my kids are silly and they fight, they don't want to brush their teeth, they're threatening my time. And what happens when they begin to threaten my time? I get very angry and I snap, right? Because they... They're threatening my time. I want that time. It's my time. I may not get my time. And so I become angry. It becomes all about me. Or it happens when I sit down on the couch and my wife has this amazing ability to hear the air come out of the cushions of the couch. And as soon as I sit down, she asks me to do something, right? 
Now, she lets me sit down. She's very gracious because she never sits down. But she lets me sit down for like five seconds. I want 10 seconds, but five seconds is doable, right? And she asks me to do something. And so what do I do? I get up reluctantly, frustrated, and I serve. Not willingly, but reluctantly. I get up to serve my wife. Even in the small, mundane times of my life, I find that it's all about me. Why do I get anxious or worried? Well, for me, I get anxious because something I want in the future I may not get. Therefore, I become anxious or I become worried that I may not get what I want in the future. It's amazing, it's crazy how often my anxiety, my worries, uh, my anger is rooted in my own selfishness. I am just like the disciples, and if you are honest, you are just like the disciples uh, as well. We get angry when we don't get what we want, or we get anxious or worried when we may not get what we want in the future. Before Before you know it, life just becomes all about us. And we put our needs above the needs of others. And at best, we become reluctant servers, serving out of this atti- of this, with this attitude of, of duty and obligation. And at worst, we refuse to serve at all. I don't want to be like this. Like, I don't want to get angry at my kids at 7.30 at night. I, I don't want to... To, to huff and puff and get off the couch to serve my wife. I want to, to do it willingly. I, I, I want to do it joyfully. Any, any of you with me? I want to be a selfless servant. I want to find joy in serving my wife and my kids and my family and the city and, and you guys. So the question is, how can we escape being so self-consumed How can we find this freedom to become humble servants that Jesus is calling us to be? Let's continue. Let's continue the story. Jesus calls his disciples to himself, and he says to them in verse 42. So this is kind of why we know that uh, that the disciples were angry because James and John beat them to uh, this request, right? So here's, here's the response of Jesus in verse 42. Jesus says, you know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. Whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be a slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. So Jesus told his disciples that he is going to eventually die in Jerusalem. And now he tells them why or for what purpose he would die. He says in verse 45, he says, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Now, The Greek word for for is anti, which means instead of, in place of, or in substitute of. And the word ransom means to deliver by purchase. In other words, it means to make a payment that that releases someone from punishment or slavery. So picture this with me. Try, Try to use your imagination. If you need to Close your your eyes, close your mind, and picture the God of the universe, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, Jesus Christ, on that road leading to Jerusalem. Do you see him? 
Do you see the Son of Man? The one who deserves the allegiance of every king and every kingdom that has ever existed in the, in the history of mankind. Do you see the dusty road? Do you see the Son of Man who deserves the allegiance of every single heart in this room? He is ferociously determined to make it into the city of Jerusalem. Can you picture the look on his face? He is intensely determined to make it to the city of Jerusalem to be mocked, to be spit on, to be flogged, to die on a cross, and to be raised from the dead. Why? To serve you and to serve me. You see, the Son of Man willingly, he willingly entered the suffering that was waiting for him in Jerusalem to do for us what we could never do for ourselves. He came to give his life as a ransom for many. He came to serve us by giving his life for us as an exchange. His life for our life, for we all need to be ransomed. Why? Because we have sold ourselves into the bondage of slavery to sin. Sin holds us captive. And eternal death is the penalty for our sin. This is humanity's spiritual reality. You, me, my kids, your kids, every single person born into this world is born under the tyranny of sin and death. We have this sin debt that we cannot pay. We have this record against us which says guilty, and we have this sentence of death over us. So the question is, who can free us from sin and death? Ourselves? No. Who can pay our sin debt? Ourselves? Well, good works be enough to erase our bad works to pay for our debt? Absolutely not. Who can free us from the penalty of sin, which is death? Only the Son of Man, Jesus Christ, the suffering servant who came and loved us and gave himself as a sacrifice for our sin to be a ransom for us, to take our place instead of us, to be our substitute. The word substitute in this context is the greatest word, the greatest news that Jesus Christ substituted himself in our place on the cross. It should have been us there, but instead Jesus took our place. He was a ransom for us, for many. Colossians 2, 3, 13, so 2, 13 says this. That because of Jesus, God has forgiven us of all of our trespasses. All of our trespasses. By canceling the record of debt that stood against us with his legal demands, this he set aside, nailing it to the cross. Do you see the suffering servant? Do you see him on that dusty road? He's coming for you. And he came for me. 
Do you see the suffering servant hanging on a cross, his life for your life? Do you see him substituting himself in your place? Do you see that he embraced willingly the suffering to be mocked and spit on, to have the flesh ripped off his body, to suffocate on a cross and rise from the dead so that you can have life this morning and into eternity? I see him. And words cannot express how deeply humbled and grateful I am that he would come to serve someone like me and that he would come to serve someone like you. Guys, he had you in mind and he had me in mind on that road leading to Jerusalem. How amazing is that? This isn't just some made up story over 2000 years ago that we just read in the Bible. This is historical reality that Jesus Christ had you in mind. He had me in mind. And he was ferociously determined to make it into the city of Jerusalem. It was like he could not wait to embrace the suffering, to endure the suffering, to take our place, to free us from sin and death, to forgive us of all of our sin so that we could be reconciled with him and have a life with him. He did this for you and he did it for me. This truth should humble us, shouldn't it? Are you humbled this morning? Are you humbled? The Son of Man came to serve you and to serve me. It should, because this is what Jesus is trying to teach his disciples, right? And and this is what he's trying to teach us. He's saying, do you want to be great? Do you want to be significant? Do you want to be free from self to enable you to actually serve others? Then he says, look at me. Follow my example and become a humble servant. He says, for if I am I am who is the greatest, I came, even I, the Son of Man, I came not to be served, but to serve and give my life as a ransom for many. Jesus is saying, in my kingdom, what it looks like to be great, what it looks like to be the greatest is to be the greatest of servants. It's the exact opposite of the world, isn't it? So Jesus said in the Gentiles that, that those who have positions of power and authority lord it over them. Like in the world, to be great is to have as many people under you to serve you. But Jesus said, no, 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 it's the exact opposite in my kingdom. It's like an inverted pyramid. I flip it and to be great, you need to be a servant of all because I am the greatest to serve it. And if I am the greatest and I came to serve, how can you not become the greatest of servants as well? Listen, I don't know how many times over the course of my life I've thought about this story. Not only the story of Jesus on the road to Jerusalem, but the story of Jesus with his disciples the last night before he went to the cross. As he was eating and drinking with his disciples, he began to wash their feet. You guys know the story of Jesus before uh, the last supper. He kneels down and he begins to, to wash his disciples' feet. And as I think about that story, and as I thought about that story often, I I think about having the God of the universe, the one who created me, the one whose name has the greatest authority and power, kneeling down before me and washing my feet. How would you feel 
how would you feel if you were one of those disciples and Jesus, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, kneeled down before you and he began to wash your feet? You'd be humbled, wouldn't you? Because it should be the opposite. It should be us washing the feet of Jesus. Take it one step further. When I think about the Son of Man on the cross, I'm broken. My pride and selfish heart shatters into a million people pieces because it should have been the other way around. It should have been me on the cross. It should have been me rightly suffering for my sin, but instead Jesus served me and he served you. He stepped in and he took my place and he stepped in to take your place. He came and he became a substitute and he suffered. He suffered in our place for our sin to purchase us, to ransom us. And as a result of the Son of Man coming to serve us, we are forever His and we are forever free. And when we see the Son of Man coming to serve us, it is the cure. It is the cure for our selfish heart because when we see Him, how can we not want to be like Him? How many of you want to be like the suffering servant? How many of you see the Son of Man and see how he came to serve us? Not only washing the disciples' feet, but he came and he served us by sacrificing himself in our place. He accomplished or he did the greatest act of love by giving up himself. And if the greatest one did it, how can we not become like him? Guys, when I see the suffering servant, the Son of Man, I want to serve and love my kids even when they begin to threaten my alone time. I want to serve my, my wife even when I get just five seconds on the couch. Just this week, I sat down on the couch and I began to think about, and it's probably just because I, I, I've been thinking about this all week, but this is, this is how it translates and, 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 and it helps us to serve. I was sitting on the couch and I was thinking about Jesus. And I was thinking about the look on his face, this intense determination to make it into, the, into Jerusalem, to suffer in my place, to save me. I was seeing his intense determination. And I thought about the way that he served me. And I found myself being humbled and I found myself being grateful. And I heard Shanae putting up the dishes in the dishwasher. As I was sitting there, seeing the son of man, and you know what I did? I got up. That's a big deal for me. I got up and I went in and I helped my wife to serve her. Seeing the son of man suffering in my place, serving me, it changed me. He compelled me to become a better servant. I know that this seems such a small, insignificant thing, but if we see the reality of our hearts and in the, in the times when no one's looking, even in those times, I find myself being so selfish, but it's those times when no one's looking and we, when we serve, that is a demonstration of what it means to be great. To be able to serve when no one's watching. That is being a servant. So here's my challenge for us. As we leave this place this morning, 
Are we willing to serve in the mundane times, in the small times when no one's watching? That is the mark of greatness. That's the mark of being a true servant. Jesus says, forever will be great among you, must be your servant of all, uh, and whoever would be first among you must be a slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus' greatest act of greatness was sacrifice. It was the cross. His greatest act of glory was sacrificing himself on the cross for us. So if we want to be great, if we want to be great in his kingdom, then we too must take up our cross and follow Jesus. To be great is to be a servant of all. I want to close with this. As I was, was preparing for this time, I could not help but think about you moms. Moms, I hope that you know that, you, that your life is beautiful and it's great. Because your role as a mother is one of selflessness and sacrifice. I am amazed on a daily basis watching my wife serve our kids. She is constantly, constantly not thinking about herself and always thinking about our kids. And I am amazed. And you know, moms, it's not easy, right? It's not easy. And you know, most often, it is a thanklessness or thankless job. Even when someone does notice, they typically will not thank you for what you have done. I don't know where you're at this morning as a mom. I assume that you're tired and exhausted of serving your kids. But let me encourage you. Let me encourage you to draw strength from the one who came to serve you. And not only the one who came to serve you, but the one who rose three days later, reigns over all things, sits at the Father's right hand, and continues to serve you this morning. He never, ever, ever, ever stops serving you. He never, ever, ever stops loving and caring for you to strengthen you to continue to serve your family. May you draw strength from him. May you see the way in which he came to love you and gave himself for you. May you picture him. May you picture his face, this intense determination to make it into Jerusalem, to suffer in your place, to rescue you, to be a ransom for you, to save you, and see him sitting at the Father's right hand, his spirit living and dwelling within you, to continue to serve you and strengthen you to serve, so that your kids may one day see that through your life, they may see the beauty of the Son of Man. And through your life and by His grace, through your service and through your life, that they may come and humble themselves and receive the sacrifice that that the Son of Man came to give to them, that they may receive His salvation through watching you and through your service. Never give up. Thank you, moms. Husbands, fathers, take five seconds on the couch and get up. Five seconds, not 10 seconds, five. Get up and serve your wife. Serve the mother of your kids. To be great is to be a servant of all. To be great in the kingdom of God is to be a servant. And when we see the Son of Man, 
serving us. I want to be like him. You want to be like him? Let us be like him. Let's pray. Father, we are so humbled and grateful for the way in which you have served us. That you have served us by offering a way back to you and the sending of your precious son. And Jesus, we thank you and we are humbled by the way in which you have served us that you willingly entered into the suffering that was waiting for you in Jerusalem, that you knew what was coming for you, that you would be mocked, that you would be spit on, that you would be arrested, that you would be condemned to death, that you would be flogged, that you would die a humiliating, painful death on a cross, but you did it for us. You did it to serve us. You did it to, to pay our debt that we could never pay. You came to free us from that which we can never free ourselves from, and that is sin and death. You are the great Savior, and you are the great servant. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would serve us by empowering us and enabling us to become more like the Son of Man. The Holy Spirit, that you would change our hearts, that you would help us to see the beauty of the Son of Man and what He has done for us, and that as a result of seeing Him, you would compel us and change us and give us new desires to serve others, that you would free us from our selfishness, our self-centered hearts, that we would become a people who radically serve others and you as a result of what you have done for us to serve us. You are the cure. Not only in your life, but your life living and dwelling within us to empower us to become more like you. May we cling to you. May we look to you constantly to become great. And that is to become the greatest of servants. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.